Our Old Testament lesson this morning is from Psalm 22, and we read the first half of this psalm last week, and uh, we will read the second half of this psalm this week. Uh, This is the psalm that begins with a phrase that Jesus quotes on the cross, uh, saying, my God, oops, that's the wrong book, saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And uh, we will pick it up, as I say, in verse 19 and read to the end. Before we begin, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made, and we thank you for your word which you have given to us. Lord, we ask that you would help us as we hear your word read and proclaimed today to hear it. Lord, we ask that you would You would help us to hear your word for what it is. And Lord, that that you would, by your word and by your spirit, work in our hearts and our lives today to continue transforming us into the people that you have made us to be in relationship with you through Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Psalm 22, verses 19 through 31. The psalm continues, But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him, those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. Turning then to our New Testament lesson. This is 1 John, chapter 5, verses 6 through 12. As John nears the conclusion of his letter, it says, This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God, which he has given about his son. Whoever believes in the son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. 
Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. This is the word of the Lord. Do you ever stop to consider why people are telling you what they're telling you? Or why they're showing you what they're showing you? I hope so. (laughs) If you don't, you should start paying attention to these things. Uh, Sometimes it's, it's simple advertising. They're showing you what they're showing you. They're telling you what they're telling you because they want you to buy their product. That's simple. Other times it's because people are trying to get a reaction out of you one way or another. Uh, Other times, it's actually for your good. (laughs) They're trying to tell you something that is going to help you out in the long run kind of thing. People are trying to teach you or to inform you. It's good to stop and think about why people are telling you the things they're telling you, why they're showing you what they're showing you. I tell you this because today we're going to look at something we might not want to look at. And we're going to be talking about and thinking about something we might not want to talk about or think about. But there's a reason that John presents this to us. It is actually of critical importance. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, and goes on with who all else he appeared to. But what we're looking at this morning is the first part of that. Where Paul says, what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And here we're looking at John chapter 19, verses 28 through 37. As John presents us with Jesus hanging on the cross, suffering and in pain. And like I say, it's the kind of thing you go, I I don't want to look at that. I don't want to look at somebody suffering. I don't want to look at somebody in pain. I don't want to think about that. Surely there's some game on my phone that I can use to distract me so I don't have to think about such terrible things. But there's a reason for this. And as Paul says, this is of first importance, even more important than the games on your phone. So here we go. John chapter 19, verse 28. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now, it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers, therefore, came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. And when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, 
and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth and he testifies so that you also may believe. These things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. So here it is. We have Jesus, as I said, hanging on the cross, suffering, and John shows this to us. says, you need to know about this. You need to take some time. You need to think about this of Jesus on the cross, why he was there and what he did there. And of course, John is telling us this as an eyewitness. I saw this. And I want you to know about it. And of course, at uh, the end of the passage there, he tells us why he wants us to know this. I want you to know this so that you may believe. In other words, there is something amazing going on that you need to know about so that you can believe because it is in, as he says in First uh, John 5, we just read, whoever has the Son of God has life. This has been the message the whole way through. In him, was life. (laughs) And that life was a light of all mankind. John is presenting Jesus to us as the source of all life, and here he is hanging on the cross dying. Doesn't that seem kind of counterintuitive? Doesn't that seem like it might work against his argument to say that the one who is life itself dies? John says, no, that's a very, very important part of this whole thing. You don't understand the whole thing if you don't see this part. If all you see is Jesus as uh, the life giver and the victory uh, in life itself, and that's it. It's all roses, no thorns. You've missed it. You've missed it. Jesus is the life who comes into this life. The life giver who actually takes up the, uh, the human experience of life in all the suffering, in all the pain. And even in death itself. And so John describes it this way. He says, verse 28, later knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it. They put the stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Do you hear that John is not just describing what happened, but he also is explaining why it happened? Did you notice that it says in verse 28, so that scripture would be fulfilled? If you look down at verse 36, you see the same line again. These things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. And in verse 37, and as another scripture says, this is key. When we looked at 1 Corinthians 15, and Paul says, For what I received I passed on to you as a first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. 
Do you hear this? Do you hear this constant refrain that John and Paul are both saying? You can't tell the Jesus story without saying how he is the dun-dun to the dun-da-da-dun-dun of the Old Testament. How this that is happening to Jesus on the cross is not happening because he is a victim of, uh, of something that, man, who could have seen this coming? But that Jesus is hanging on the cross because this was a part of the plan from the beginning. That when he's hanging on the cross, this is not an unfortunate detour from what was supposed to be the plan. This was the plan. That Jesus himself would come into the world to die for the sin of the world. That he died, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. You go all the way back to the Old Testament. You look all the way through. Genesis 3. In Genesis 3, you see both the fall of mankind and also God saying, now here's the plan. There's going to be someone born of a woman who is going to crush the head of a serpent. When Jesus is hanging on the cross, this is his, his fulfilling scripture, and he is uh, winning the victory over sin and death itself by dying. When he says, I'm thirsty, he was probably really thirsty. But John tells us that he also says it to fulfill Scripture. That Scripture would be fulfilled. I'm not going to run you through all these passages, but you can take a look at Psalm 22, Psalm 42, Psalm 63, and, of course, Psalm 69. These are Psalms uh, 1. Psalm 22 is the one where uh, it's describing what it's like to hang on a cross hundreds of years before crucifixion was invented just as a way of describing kind of ultimate suffering. And my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth, etc. Psalm 42 and 63 are both about just longing for God. As a deer pants for the water, so my soul uh, pants after you. I'm, I, I'm thirsty for you, that kind of thing. And Psalm 69 is the giving they gave me vinegar to drink. So here I am, thirsty. And what do they give me? <laughs> vinegar. So in this, one, um, in this one spot, Jesus is kind of tying in with so many places in the Old Testament. But I think there's another one as well. And that goes all the way back to Exodus 17. You remember when the people had come out of slavery in Egypt and they had, they, God had brought them across the Red Sea. It was amazing. And then they get to the other side and they say, well, now we're just going to die here because God has brought us out here with nothing. We're thirsty. We need water. And God provides water from a rock. We see Jesus meeting a woman at a well in John chapter 4 and saying that he can provide living water. In this moment, 
Jesus, uh, as we see later, they uh, stab him with a spear, and out comes water and blood. There are uh, physiological reasons for that. This is one of the ways that you know, people look to it, and you can say, well, d- was Jesus really dead, or was he just kind of partly dead? Was he mostly dead? Um, and this is one of the physiological things you can look at and say, no, he was dead, dead, like really dead. But it also should remind us of when Moses hits the rock with a stick and the water comes out. Um, this is Jesus, again, being a fulfillment of Scripture in that way, where it kind of points to him again, that he is the rock, that he is that source of the living water, even as he represents the people through thirst. Once he has received the drink, he says, it is finished. With that, he bows his head and gives up his spirit. Um, I don't know how you read this. It is finished line. Um, But if you have ever... If you've ever been watching a sport that you really cared about, and then you realized that, okay, we're in the fourth quarter, and we'll just go with football. We're in the fourth quarter... There are three minutes left. We're, we're down 50 to 7. And you say, it's over. <laughs> you know? Like, do we need to watch this out? I don't know. It's, it's finished. There's no hope at this point. So you could read it like this, that Jesus at this point is just like, well, I guess evil wins. It's done. I hope you don't read it that way. This is not uh, how I believe Jesus means this, but in a different way. Have you ever seen uh, somebody who has crossed the finish line of a marathon and after running the 26.2 miles, their body is just completely done? (laughs) They are finished. (laughs) And they cross the finish line and they just collapse. But at the same time, as they cross the finish line, in complete exhaustion, there's still that smile that comes through. Like, how is that possible <laughs> to be in that bad a shape and still be smiling? And it's because they have accomplished what they set out to accomplish. That they have finished the race. As, or as Paul says it, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I think this is what Jesus has in mind when he says, it is finished. I did what I came to do. All along the way, there were so many off-ramps on the road he was supposed to take. I asked you earlier when the last time was that you lived a perfect day, and we laughed at it. Because we all have off-ramps of the road we're supposed to take, and every day we take them. And Jesus never took them. And he goes all the way through, day after day after day after day, all the way to the cross. And now that he is on the cross, suffering and in pain, and just before he dies, he says, it's finished. And I think there's a part of this, like, I'm done. I don't have to do it anymore. As far as just how difficult that road had been. I made it. 
I knew a man years ago. This was very similar to his last words. He was uh, dying of cancer. And his wife said that his last words, he was laying in bed and he just sat upright, just out of nowhere, sits straight upright, eyes wide open and says, I did it. I finished the race and I won. And then he laid down and died just like that. I think that (laughs) is what's going on with Jesus on the cross. This was not a, it's, it's over. We might as well go home because the other side has won. This was a cry of victory. It's finished. And I won. So verses 28 to 30, Jesus finishes what he came to do and fulfills the scripture in doing that. We already mentioned in 31 to 34 how they had uh, pierced Jesus' side. And again, we see this, John tells us, this is again fulfillment of Scripture. It says, not one of his uh, bones will be broken, and also that they will look on the one they have pierced. Yeah, hands and feet and now side. Piercing him again and again. Every bit of this, as John reflects on it, says, wait a second. This isn't just some terrible, tragic thing that happened to my friend. This is what the Bible has been about all the way through. And as I go back and I read the Psalms, as I go back and I read Exodus, as I go back and I read Deuteronomy, every bit of it, it's just pointing to Jesus again and again. And John says, I want you to see this. And when you see it this way, then you do see Jesus' cry, it is finished, as a victory cry, not as uh, it's a cry of defeat. Um, that brings us back to verse 35. The man who saw it has given testimony. His testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies that you also may believe. I asked when we began, you pay attention to why people tell you things. And I hope you do. But every, every book of the Bible, even, is written for a purpose. And John, thank goodness, is just open with it. Let me, I'll tell you why I'm writing this. I want you to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God, that he is the light of the world, that he is the living water, that he is the one that you need. Why do I want you to believe that? Because in him, you can have life. And apart from him, you don't have life. John believes this to his core. And he says, this is the good news. This is the gospel. This is good news for everyone. If you'll receive it. And so as John uh, is communicating this good news, he doesn't shy away from the cross. But just like Paul, he sees it as first importance, that Christ died. But not just that he died, that he died for a purpose, that he died for a reason, that he died for us. Or as Paul puts it, 
that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. As this is um, what has happened, this is why John has told us, then of course the logical question is, so how do we respond? Do we reflect on who Jesus is and the way that he is the Savior that we need? Do we shy away from the painful things, the difficult things in his life, in our lives, in the lives of those around us? Or do we sit with it? Do we see the meaning even in the painful parts? And do we, as those who are witnesses of Jesus, like John, do we testify? Do we let others know the good news? The good news of the gospel of Jesus, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas or Peter and the twelve, and many, many more. I hope you will consider why people tell you the things they tell you. And more than that, I hope you will consider why you tell people the things you tell them. And I hope it is for their good, and I hope that it is to share with them a life-giving good news that everyone needs to hear. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.